When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are here today on Crew Call with the two-time primetime Emmy-nominated production designer of Grace and Frankie, Deborah Herbert. Do I understand this correctly? You had to rebuild all of your sets because of the pandemic stoppage. Can you tell us about that? Yes, that was really, it was kind of a wild ride. I mean, nobody... Nobody knew what was going to happen during COVID. I remember the day we shut down and one of my set designers said like, gee, gosh, I hope it's not going to be two weeks. That's a long time. Um, And so we, but we were told, yeah, leave everything on your desks. We're good. Um, And so we had moved already from, wait, let me just think about this. No, we hadn't. Okay. So when we, when we shut down, we were at Paramount. Okay, where which is has been our home for seasons one through six and the, and the first five episodes, four episodes of season seven. Then COVID happened and we shut down abruptly, went home at the end of the day and left all of our offices intact except for our computers and our personal belongings. And then time just kind of we, things happened. Time stretched and we at one point. We were hoping to start filming again, I think in October. I can't, you know, it was around the time some other shows were back back to work. Everyone thought we were going back in October. And then something happened behind the scenes. Somebody wasn't comfortable, I think. So we didn't go back. And then um, about a month later, we were all really disappointed, but we didn't give up hope. And we, we had these wonderful meetings like every month or two where we would read the scripts and and kind of get the whole cast and crew together via Zoom, which was really, really nice, the way to keep, keep the family intact. And so in October, when we didn't start, we all waited. And then I got a call in November to tear all the sets down. So that was really rough. And everybody knew about it, of course. So we put six years of work in the <clears throat> dumpsters and figured of course, that's it. It's about to be Thanksgiving and we just tore millions of dollars of sets apart and put them in the trash. But we kept the set dressing in storage. And then in December, I think it was, I got like, I'm not, not more than a month later, I got a call. Okay, we're starting in January to build the sets back and we're moving to another studio, to Sunset Gower. So that was crazy. Like, how do you, how do you bring it all Forget about the new stuff this season, which we'll get into. Yeah. How do you bring it all back and bring it back fast? It was amazing. And, you know, we, everyone has, you know, we all have plans and we had the plans, the architectural plans, but things happen when you're building quickly and you have to make decisions on the fly. And sometimes, you know, even after you've started shooting a set, someone wants to move a wall or put a door there and it doesn't 
it should be updated in the plans, but if you're in a hurry, sometimes it's not. So we got there, we had plans, but we didn't even know if they would fit on the new stages, like the set and then the lighting and then the sand berm and then have a believable distance to the ocean blue screen. You know, we, there was a lot of, there were a lot of technical considerations. So they called me before we started to make sure the Sunset Gower would work. And I went over there with part of my team and determined that it would, but we had to kind of reconfigure stuff a little bit, take a hallway off of one set and stuff like that. And then we started rebuilding. And the two issues that we came across were number one, you couldn't get any supplies. So when I called about like, you know, a very- and you had that, that Nicaraguan tile. Right. We had to match everything. And luckily we had already filmed the scene where the floor gets torn up in the kitchen before the story broke. So that wasn't a big deal. What was a big deal are these were these hexagonal terracotta special tiles that were like handcrafted in yeah. kind of balloons or wherever that were the entire were, were a large part of Robert and Saul's set. So we called and they said, you know, there's a 12 week waiting period. And I think at that point, I think it was the first thing we called about. We had maybe just enough time if we pushed that their house to the end of the first episode we were shooting. And so we said, okay. And then it got closer and closer and it didn't show up. And then like a week before we we're like, okay, this is a problem. So we had to manufacture fake terracotta tiles. And the other thing about the tiles, there were like three or four different color variations in the tiles. So we had to make like four different batches at a texture that looked believable as terracotta and then the right color and then the right age. And then we had to, we tiled the house with the ones that we had made. You definitely could not tell the difference, but it was incredibly labor intensive as you can imagine. So we had a supply issue. And then the other um, major issue is that there were changes that we had made that we didn't have records of and just a few, but you know, one chain, one thing in the wrong place is enough to like put you a day behind schedule already. So we dealt with that. We made some new decisions and it, it was sometimes I remember one time the gaffer came up to me they had, we had already put the walls of the beach house up and I think we had already painted it even, but we had, the, it was still coming together. And the gaffer who just started, because they were just starting to light and rig the sets behind us came up to me and found me and said, there's a window where there was never a window before in the beach house. What, we can't have that window there. It was a big window, like, you know, six feet by three feet or something. And I was like, Florence, I was like, oh my God. And my instinct wasn't, yes, it was. My instinct was, he must be right. We must have switched two walls. There must be two walls that are the same size. And we put it in the wrong. I said, I'm so sorry. We must have put the wall in the wrong place. I ran back to my office to look at the plans. And then it was on the plans. And he, I said, no, no, that window was there. And he said, no, no, I asked the cinematographer. He remembers too, it wasn't there. So we had to, I actually went back and looked at dailies that we had already shot to prove to him that the window had always been there. But I doubted it too. It was crazy. That's so, kind of what, that, that was the tenor of the rebuild. When did you have everything? How long did it take to rebuild? Was it, or was it on and off? Like, no, was there a time when you could just throw your hands down at your sides and just sigh and say, I did it. And this is the most amazing thing I ever did in my life. There was, but that time came after we had already started, we had already shot an episode or two because actually it, luckily it lined up with the scripts that I think one of the, I think it was Robert and Saul's, one of the major sets, maybe Robert and Saul's or the beach house did not appear in the 
first two episodes we were filming or the first episode. So we got a whole extra week. And I think that 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 really helped us. But I think we built the whole thing back in about somewhere between eight and 10 weeks, which frankly was generous. If everything went smoothly, the other big issue was set dressing because we bought all the furniture over the course of eight years. So the beach house, you know, when, when something went missing and some things did not much, but when some things went missing because maybe somebody thought, Oh, we're tearing these down and we're not coming back. No one will miss this armchair or whatever it was. It was a problem. We just had to match as best we could. But I think, I think it's pretty seamless in the end. Now, in addition to rebuilding the sets that you had already built, um, you you uh, you had um, you one one of one of your key pieces this season is Brianna and Barry's house. Tell us yeah. tell us about that. Uh, that was a really fun build for me um, and surprising because we all knew it was going to be our last season. So to build a big new permanent set in a last season is unusual and. And I remember long ago, in between seasons two and three, when Robert and Saul's house was about to come into existence and was in the sort of idea phase with Marta, my first instinct was to give them like a warm wooden mid-century modern, almost like a Pacific Palisades type of, like warm but modern, except, you know, in further south in California. And I, so I worked on it for like probably a week and put together a presentation. It's the only time in eight years that I can remember on a, like something big like that, that I presented it to Marta and she just looked at it and went, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's a Spanish house. It's definitely a Spanish house. But I had, I hadn't asked. It's some, you know, with her, we trust each other. She gives me so much creative freedom and it's more fun for me to get a little further down the road and show her something she can get excited about than just to talk verbally about something so anyway this time Brianna we'd already shot Brianna's office and we'd already shot Brianna's house and Brianna's house was a location that was in the mid-century modern style so it was a perfect way to make the trend and we kind of based her office on that too so it was a perfect way to make the transition and finally get to build my dream house. <laughs> like I would love to live in that house. So it, that was really, really fun. And um, I had a great team and we, we'd all worked together before. And I think, some, well, maybe some of us hadn't, but yeah, we had a great time doing that. And we were given, we were trusted by our showrunners and by Netflix and Skydance. They trusted us to be responsible financially and also understood that the look of Grace and Frankie, more than any show I think I've worked on, is really integral to the story. The sets themselves are characters, and the sets mirror what's happening to the characters a lot of the time. And I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to work on a show like this, where my contribution feels so important. And what the what we did was, you know, Barry and Brianna, she's, she has major commitment issues. She doesn't want to have a kid. And they're struggling to find their place, you know, their, how, what their future is going to look like. And they, they agree to move in together. So I wanted the house to feel really stylish and clean like Brianna, but it also had to be warm like Barry, because I think that Barry, Barry has brought so much warmth into her life. You know, she had been a somewhat closed person emotionally, I think, before she met him and 
did a lot of joking around, super smart and funny, but he really pushed her to open up emotionally and commit to him. And so I wanted that to be represented visually in to, for this to be a, a safe harbor for their relationship and for both of them to be represented there at least so maybe you don't know that but subconsciously you feel it when you watch them now you also had um you also had to recreate the u.s Mex mexico border and several tijuana interiors tell me about that <clears throat> yeah that was in episode eight <clears throat> we actually you know as we were building rebuilding the sets i was lucky because there wasn't there were a lot of decisions to be made, but not a lot of fundamental design decisions. And I was able to use a lot of that time to pour into the border because it was a real challenge because if the idea was that Grace and Frankie were stuck at the border, inching their way through traffic among, you know, hundreds and hundreds of cars at the Texas, at the U.S.-Mexico border. And how do you sell that without it looking like a cheesy TV show and, you know, and I, in fact, I believe the DP, I think I, I got like a stomach ache when the DP was like, I know we'll do a crane shot and we'll lift up and see that. So the vision for this border was really ambitious. And it also, there was action on both sides of the border. They were, we saw them crossing in and we saw them crossing out and there was- Where'd you shoot? It's in Long Beach. Oh, okay. And that, the, the, the other really fortunate thing was that I had been panicking slightly before we shut down because we hadn't found a good location for the border and it was really ambitious. And, you know, the best thing that I was kind of looking at at the time was a big empty parking lot and we needed to be able to see in all directions. And I was like, well, how do you, it was, it felt, it felt impossible to me. And our location manager retired during the I guess the pandemic hiatus and every location manager brings with him, just like every designer does, like a wealth of his knowledge from their oh, 30 yeah. years in the business, mm -hmm. all these locations that they've been to and all the locations they've discovered that other people hadn't. And so every, each location manager there, you know, though you've taken two and they're equally creative and equally talented, they'll have a different response to the same question in terms of, you know, what's the best church to use? So the new location manager, it was my first time working with him and I was sort of, you know, knocking on everyone's door, like, Hey, let's go look for a new border. Let's go look for a border. Like the minute I got there, because I didn't know how we were going to solve it. And he just said, Oh, I have the perfect place. It's the blah, blah, blah. I can't remember the name of it in it's a the long beat port of entry or something like that. There's a, it's a port where all the ships come in. So it had this really long bland, official looking building that had all these signs hanging on it for like the, but, you know, come in here for this port or this entry gate or whatever. So we were able to make that with some signage and some paint to make that really look like, Oh, that could be the main building that this border is attached to. And then the other issue was the booths. Initially we thought we might do a set extension like the, the DP wanted to pan up, but if you look at the real border, and they wanted it to look like the real border. It's huge and the booths are massive. So we thought we were gonna have to do a set extension, like, okay, we're gonna build the booths up to like seven feet. And then because you know, in terms of the big overpass thing, we're gonna have to put that in in post. So I was on a mission to make the real booths, like matching the real border. And I even found the company that made them. You can order guard booths, but it takes months, it turns out. 
I was like, I went the day we found them, I was like, oh my God, here's the website. You can buy them. You can buy them. And they have a quick ship for guard booths. Anyway, we wound up building them. And then we wound up not doing that set extent. We wound up building the set. The location was so good that we wound up being able to shoot the whole thing without any set extensions. We, 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 there was a wide road and we put in booths on these long, you know, those long cement sidewalk things that they couldn't cheat it. We did wind up cheating. Once okay. we had that location, it, it, we realized we did, weren't going to have to do a set extension. They even had like this overpass thing, like that, that, so we were like, I think in real life, there are like 25 booths or something. And we built like three or four. And then we just made the road. Every set has this really strange challenges. Like the big challenge for us was that we had to make the lanes a certain width. So the cards would get through. We had to create our own lanes with our own medians. And then there were already stripes on the road in the wrong place. And we were not given permission to paint over them. So we made like rolls and rolls and rolls of like four inch thick sticky paper and painted it to look like asphalt. Four guys spent the better part of a day covering stripes, stuff like that. So Dolly Parton in heaven, easy, easy thing to pull off the white background or no. What was super cool about that. It was a really, really, really collaborative process. I think anything in a script, that you'd see on a page is open to interpretation and you know people different designers will design it differently like when you say like let's have a wedding ceremony it could be a hippie it could be anything you know um but heaven can really be anything there is no known representation so the first i was trying to wrap my mind around it and the first thing that popped into my mind was that old old movie heaven can wait yes with i was gonna say yeah. Yeah. with uh charles groden and warren Beatty, warren Beatty, yeah. and it basically heaven was is just like a bunch of dry ice looking clouds and then they're standing around in it and that seemed to me like the most natural like leave it abstract leave it open to interpretation but you need the clouds so people know where you are and so i talked to him i said is it like the heaven can wait kind of said, yes yes that's what it is but then as the thing evolved, they're in a waiting room in heaven, like in a waiting room in heaven. Like what, what's the furniture like in a waiting room in heaven? And so it, it evolved and it evolved. And, and one day Gail, our cinematographer said, I think it should look like 2001 Space Odyssey. It was his idea. And it was, it, it was amazing because that was real collaboration. And he and I, like we got together I got to design almost like, I feel like he really had the seed of the idea. Well, that's not really fair to say because when you're being creative with other people, it's a process like one idea builds on the next idea, which branches out into two more ideas. And the, the words I wanted to be 2001 Space Odyssey like might come out of one person's mouth, but it's built on the conversation that had been happening between Marta and me and Gail for a long time, I don't know, a month, two months, we, we knew it would, the other great thing about Grace and Frankie is we knew we were given a lot of information ahead of time so we could plan. I think that's part of why, in my opinion, the sets look good. Mm -hmm. we, had, we have time to design them and prepare to do it the smart way. So we, we thought about it overnight and then Marduk said, let's go for it. 
the question that we had was, it's really surreal. And Grace and Frankie is a is a reality. You know, the environments are real. Even whether it's even if it's a flashback, it's real. And is heaven going to be? Is an homage to two thousand one Space Odyssey going to be too jarring? Um, but Marta's really brave and creative, and she loves. Uh, I feel like she loves. She loves uh, creative risk taking herself and encourages the people working with her to do it, which is the best way to work. So yeah, we recreated that. Again, the biggest issue is never what you think it's gonna be. It was getting the plexiglass. Like we needed one inch plexiglass to hold the weight of all the equipment and the actors. And and then it turned out that Dolly couldn't come. We had to go to her. So whatever we built, we were gonna have to also recreate in Nashville and ship there and, and there wasn't enough time to ship the furniture there because it also because of everyone's schedules it was only a few days between the LA shoot and the Nashville shoot so we had to double everything so like once we found the perfect chair for Dolly to sit in if there weren't two of them we couldn't use it so it was logistics were the most challenging part the creating creative part was really fun and seeing it on film was really exciting because when you take a risk like that you never really know if it's going to work until you see it. So then you had a wedding, a funeral, and a grand finale all rolled into one. A, a seed that's planted earlier in the season is that Frank, Frankie is a fortune teller, of course. She receives news from her fortune teller at a reading that she's going to die on a certain date. And so she decides to plan her funeral, which Grace boycotts because she thinks it's ridiculous. And it's all... It's all a metaphor for their relationship. You know, like having a platonic friendship that's so close is, 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 a, is an interesting challenge. So anyway, Frankie decided she wanted to do her own funeral. But according to the storyline, Coyote and Jessica were also to be married. What starts as a funeral becomes a wedding. That's the storyline. So what kind of environment will instantly read as a funeral service but work will also work as a wedding so um we and the other the other key was that it was to be on the beach because every season of grace and frankie begins and ends on the beach i didn't want it to look like anything we'd seen before because frankie is such a unique artist i do a lot of research and research and research and i caught an image of these like tie-dye rainbow colored sails that people use as shade structures at Burning Man. And they were super cool. So that's what we went with. The setup with the aisles and the chairs, it was like just traditional enough that you could see, you could recognize where you were, but also didn't look like anything you'd seen before. So I was pretty happy with it. Looking back, final season, um, can you talk about the journey uh, and, and, the personal, and the personal takeaway? Grace and Frankie has been quite a journey for me. I feel like in many ways, I'm a different person and a different artist and designer than I was when we started. When we started, I had never designed um, a half hour comedy before and was somewhat surprised to be chosen for the job, nor had I done a lot of aspirational sort of home design. I was more well-known for dance movies and crack houses, you know, honestly, the more urban stuff. So what I realized over the years is regardless of the world that you're creating, when you're lucky enough, like I was on Grace and Frankie, to have 
really deeply and carefully and beautifully drawn characters, they just tell you, it almost like the sets almost design themselves. Everyone's going to, every designer would do it differently, but, but these characters were so strong. And that, I think that was a great takeaway for me in terms of, I mean, it made me feel like I can do any style as long as the characters are strong, like, and I respond to the script. You'll hear a lot of people say that working on Grace and Frankie, that the crew and the cast were like a family. And when people say that, in other circumstances, it's like, yeah, 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 whatever. But it really was. And I came back, you know, at, at a certain point, I wasn't sure if I should keep coming back. Did I need to grow my career? You know, this is the, one of the most important pieces of work I've ever done, I, you know, and yet should I be, there's always a, a desire for the new hot thing in this, in Hollywood. And I remember my decorator also feeling conflicted about, you know, whether to take another new opportunity or come back. And we all kept coming back and for the most part and other departments too. The cinematographers, the costume designer, and I have all been there since the pilot of the show. And I think that says a lot about what it's like to work on Grace and Frankie, which is pretty fabulous. The other thing that was interesting, to be honest, I, I have a, so while I was on Grace and Frankie, my husband and I were going through fertility treatments almost the entire time. And during season six, my, our daughter was born and she's now four. So during the pandemic hiatus, she had just turned two and I had this like really intensive year of bonding with her. It was really lovely. And then the combination of post having a child and living through COVID made me just not sweat the small stuff. I am a perfectionist. I'm still a perfectionist. I'm proud of it. But I just found, when I went back, I just found myself finding the essence of the thing that I wanted to design more quickly and making decisions more quickly and being more decisive and less stressed out. And I, I had more than one person come up to me like, I don't know what happened, but I like it. You know, you're really so much nicer to work with. I, you know, I, I think I'm was pretty nice to work with in the first place, but there's a saying, if my, if my demons go, my angels may go with them. And I think I always thought that if I let go of the, my creative reins at all, like I, you know, I wouldn't be as good of a designer. If I didn't try 32 different colors of blue for that wall, I wouldn't be as good. Of, if I weren't stressed out and like working myself till 10 o'clock at night and from six in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, if I didn't do that, then I wouldn't be good anymore. And it wasn't true. I'm better. I'm better because all the little, I feel like all the noise, so much noise is gone after having a child and living through COVID. What's next for you? That's an excellent question. Um, Grace and Frankie ended in November and during the hiatus, uh, not wanting or being able to really sit still creatively, I decided I wrote a book. I started writing a book, which I'm now just finishing. Um, and then I'll be going back to work in the fall. So I haven't yet been looking. I haven't really, I've only just now started to think about my next project. And Can you tell us what your book is about? Oh yeah, my book is about postpartum depression, which I went through. Um, and it's about the group of women that I healed with because I was part of a pilot program, um, which was really amazing for women and their babies. Women who have postpartum depression and their babies attend this clinic every day. 
at six hours a day for a certain length of time. And mostly it's group therapy and learning from one another, how to parent our children and learning from, you know, the therapists who are there too, but there are only 12, you know, I, I was, I was lucky to be part of this amazing program that really was extremely effective. That made me a better mother, like, and there are only 12 of them in the country at the moment. And that it's just, I think postpartum depression is still stigmatized the way depression used to be in the eighties. And it's time for it to come out of the shadows because the way to prevent it and the way to heal from it turns out to be to talk about it and share our experience with each other, not hide in shame. So that's what the book is about. It's also funny. It's a comedic romp through postpartum depression. Deborah Herbert, two-time primetime Emmy-nominated production designer of Grace and Frankie, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. 